right, well, welcome to Living Hope Church. Welcome to those of you joining us online. Uh, today, we are continuing in our series on the one another statements of the New Testament. Uh, this phrase, one another, occurs a hundred different times throughout the New Testament. But there is one statement that is repeated more than any other statement. That statement, that call is to love one another. And it occurs on 16 different occasions throughout the New Testament. And this call to love one another is foundational for our relationships with one another and our relationships within the body of the church. And as I mapped out this sermon series on the calendar, I'd planned on covering the call to love one another next week, which is Mother's Day. And just in case you have already tuned me out, dads, children, lock in for just one second. Next Sunday is Mother's Day. So you have been warned and reminded you have one week to make that happen. But as I plan to cover the call to love one another next week, as I studied the passage and the call, I decided that I just couldn't get it done in one sermon, so we divided it into two. So today we're going to focus more on why love is so important to our relationships and why it is foundational to all we do. And then next week we're going to look at some of the more practical, uh, how do we love one another. And when I say love here, I'm not talking so much about the romantic love of hearts and cupids and butterflies but the agape or brotherly love that the Bible talks so much about. It's, it's this agape, brotherly love for one another that leads us to humble ourselves and serve one another like we saw last week. It's this agape love that drives us to encourage one another. And it will be the same love for one another that will lead us to, to love, to forgive, to comfort, to pray, to submit, and be kind to one another as well. So today we're going to be in John chapter 13, 34 through 35 if you want to head that direction. But one of my hopes today is that we will leave with a more biblically sound understanding of love. In our culture and in the English language, love can mean so many different things that it can be difficult to even uh, digest and understand the command to love one another. Because we struggle to understand what is love itself. I mean, I regularly use the word love to describe my love for my wife, my love for my kids, my love for the church, my love for the sport of baseball, and my love of good food. Now, obviously, there is a huge difference between my love for my wife and my love for ice cream. But the looseness of the word love often makes it difficult for us to interpret and understand our call to love one another. It even impacts our understanding of God's love for us. So if you'll oblige me before we get to the passage, here are some of my favorite definitions of love that I ran into this past week. One is love is giving someone the power to destroy you and then trusting them not to. Love is either a horrible disease or a blessing. Love is a feeling of warm personal attachment or deep affection as for a parent, child, or friend. Love is the triumph of imagination over our intelligence. Love is indescribable. And so with those definitions, let's go to the Bible and look what both Jesus and Paul say about love. So John 13, 34 through 35. Jesus says, a new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Now we're going to look at 1 Corinthians 13, where Paul gives us perhaps the most robust description of love in the Bible. Paul writes, if I speak in the tongues of men or of angels but do not have love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have faith that can move mountains but do not have love, I am nothing. If I give all, I possess the poor and give over my body to hardship that I may boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. 
It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we, first and foremost, we thank you for your love for us. Your love that would send Jesus to the cross to give of his life so that we may have salvation and new life and hope in you. God, I pray that as we study this passage, as we look at this this idea to love one another, Lord, that we would first be overwhelmed by your love for us. And Lord, as we recognize and and experience afresh your love for us, Lord, would we be uh, prone to show that love to one another. May we show your love to those around us. So God, I pray that you would open our hearts and our minds to any area where, uh, where we may be missing this and where we need to change, Lord, or any area where we need to grow. Uh, God, and would you give us the courage and the strength to apply your word to our lives. Lord, we love you and we praise you. In your name we pray. Amen. In the movie uh, Fiddler on the Roof, Tevya and Goldie are a poor Jewish couple in the early 20th century in Russia. They've been married for 25 years in what was an arranged marriage, but they have never told each other that they love one another. And so Tevya starts to sing, Goldie, do you love me? And then Goldie begins to thank in song. She says, for 25 years, I've washed your clothes, cooked your meals, cleaned your house, given you children, and milked your cow. But Tevya keeps asking, so do you love me? And after some more singing and reminiscing, Goldie finally replies, I suppose I do. Our call is to love one another in our homes and across our relationships, but I don't think we often think about love as our motivation. We might show love in our actions, but we don't necessarily think about, do we love those around us? And then do we allow our love to motivate or become the source of our actions? As we think about love, we often think in terms of romantic love and emotions and feelings, but we are called to love one another, not just to love our spouse, not just to love our families, but love is supposed to be evident and function, foundational in all of our relationships. And we should know and recognize that love so that the question does not have to be asked, do you love me? It should be evident, and I believe it should also be said. As you look at your life, how many people would you say that you love, or how many people would say they love you? Or on the flip side, how many of your friends, family, coworkers, and neighbors, how many of them would stand up and say that I love you? And at times, it's a generational thing. There was a time in American culture where you simply didn't say the words, I love you. You might say it to your spouse, but even then it was on rare occasion. But Jesus says love should not be a rarity in our life, but it should be a constant presence in our relationships and with one another. Paul says we've been given three things inside of heaven, faith, hope, and love, and the greatest of those is love. If we're not loving, then we are missing our call as Christians. In 1 John 4, 7, John writes, Dear friends, let us love one another. For love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. We read it earlier, John 13. Jesus says, a new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. And it's by this that everyone will know that you are my disciples, if you love one another. Jesus says it's by our love and by our love for one another that the world will know that we are his. If we want to point people to Jesus, if we want to see our friends and neighbors saved, then we must first love one another. And then extend that love and grace to those around us. We are called to love one another within the church to to the point that the world should know we are Christians by how we care for, serve, and love one another. But as we saw last week, the call doesn't end there, does it? We are also called to love and pray for even those we consider our enemies. But it's not natural for us to love. Selfishness is our nature. 
And love is the solution to that selfishness. It is in love and service that we are called to break that selfishness and model and show Jesus to the world around us. This passage in John 13 is what Jesus shares with the disciples after he humbles himself and serves them by washing his feet. We spent an hour unpacking this beautiful act of service and love last week at small group. But the disciples walk into that night arguing amongst themselves about who is the greatest. Their focus was on their pride, their prestige, their importance. But Jesus gets down on his knees and he washes their feet. The lowest of low acts. And in that act, he modeled and showed them love that was beyond their comprehension. And his act of love changed the conversation that night. And it changed the trajectory of the disciples' lives and ministries. We are called through our love for each other, for our neighbors and for our enemy, to show Jesus' heart to the world around us. Service and love go hand in hand, and they're the way that the world sees and knows Jesus. They're the way that we differentiate ourselves from the world. The world doesn't love one another. But as Jesus' disciples, we are called to do that. And as we love one another, our love should fly in such stark contrast to the world that they can't help but see the difference and see that we are Christians. Our love for one another and for those around us is how we let our light shine in a dark and desperate world. So our first point today is this. For the Christian, if you call yourself a Christian, love is not optional. It is mandatory in our lives. Paul says love is mandatory. It's essential in all we do. We can have the greatest gifts ever bestowed by God, but if we don't have love, Paul says they are of no benefit. Without love, our pursuits, our accomplishments, our life is without meaning. No matter how noble, no matter how spiritual, no matter how much we attend church, no matter how much we read our Bible, if we don't have love for those around us, then we have missed the point, Paul says. Paul says if he can sing praises as beautifully as the angels, yet doesn't have love, then they are like clanging cymbals, or the message says like a creaking gate. He says if he has faith to move the mountains, yet does not have love, then he has nothing. Then he says if I give everything I have to the poor, yet don't love them, it is meaningless. Seemingly the most sacrificial act, the most loving act, Paul says can be done without love, and at that point is of no value. For some of us, love comes natural. For some of you, love comes natural. You are by nature very loving people. You've never met a person that you didn't want to know and that you didn't want to talk to and that you didn't see potential in. You're just prone to love others. My wife is one of those people. She, she loves people and she sees the best in people. That's not me. And if you're more like me, this passage is incredibly a little bit troubling as well as convicting. Because it's really easy to go through the motions. It's easy to even give of your time and of your money to someone. But there are a lot of people in this world that are difficult to love and who are impossible to love without Jesus. Paul says you can go through the motions. You can do the work. You can give away all you have. But if you don't love, then those things were for naught. And so as we look at our work, our colleagues, our friendships, our volunteer hours, our recreation, our lives, we have to ask the question, do we love? Because what Paul says is we can, do the be- we can be the best at all that we do. We can look generous to the world. We can look loving on the outside. But if we don't truly love, then we have missed it. And our loveless works, he says, are of no good. That's a, that's a humbling and eye-opening. Because well, I, I, at least, or we, we are pretty good at going through the motions and looking good on the outside. But Paul says, if we don't love, then we've missed it. As you read those first verses of, uh, three verses of 1 Corinthians 13, you can kind of create your own if-I statement. 
Paul's statements are the greatest gifts to the highest degree. And he says, if I have those things but don't have love, it doesn't matter. So as I look at my own life, I could say if I preached the most beautiful and powerful sermon but did not love those that I preached to, it would be of no gain. Or if I had every seminary degree, memorized the Bible, and knew all of your answers, but did not love those around me, it would be of no gain. Or if our church grew to a thousand, but I don't love or create an atmosphere of love, then I have done nothing for the kingdom. Or if I give all that I have to the poor, or I sell my car to buy groceries for the single mom down the street, and volunteered all of my time at the soup kitchen and the schools, but don't love those around me, and I serve for my own gain, it would be of no profit. If I give my life for the kingdom, for the church, but do so for my profit as opposed to love, then I have wasted my life and it is no gain. For you, your paraphrase would likely be different. It may go more like this. If I get that promotion that I worked so hard for but have not loved my coworkers, then what is the value? Or maybe if I give my child all the things that they desire but I don't make time to spend with them and love them, I have given them nothing. Or maybe if I volunteer at the school, fire department, church, and chamber of commerce, but have not loved the people I served, then my time and energy has been wasted. If I win the award for teacher of the year, volunteer of the year, citizen of the year, healthcare worker of the year, but have not loved those I cared for or those I taught, then my work and my time has been wasted. Paul says we can be great at what we do. People can even applaud what we do. But if we know that we have done it for our gain and for our benefit as opposed to love, then we gain nothing. Our works are like clanging cymbals and filthy rags. You, you get the point. The point is that love is the motivation for our life. Service is great. Faith is great. But if we don't have love, then we have nothing. Love is essential to everything we do. It's not an optional part of our life. Love is what motivates and empowers all that we do. And it is our love for others that God blesses, multiplies, and moves. So as you look at your life, you look at your life, at your service, your work, your relationships. Is it motivated and empowered by love? Or are you going through the motions simply to earn a paycheck? To check off a box, to earn the appraisal of others? And if as you search your heart and you, you find that love is not at the core of your service to people, ask the Lord to give you a genuine love for people this week. Ask Him to fill your heart with love and compassion for those around you. And seek to make that love your motivation. So that's our first point. Love is not optional. It is mandatory for the Christian. But what we see next is that we don't get to pick and choose where we will love. We see that all of our relationships are to be, are to be defined by love. So that's our second point. Love should be present in all of our relationships. We spent some time on this last week, but initially when we think about love, we think about loving our spouse and our children and our grandchildren and our family and our friends. And those are people we should love. Paul expands that love to our brothers and sisters in Christ, but then Jesus in Matthew 5 goes and blows the lid off our preconceived notions of who we should love and who is worthy of our, lo of our love. We read it last week. Matthew 5, Jesus says, You have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your Father in heaven. For he causes his son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Don't even the tax collectors do that? And if you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than others? Don't even the pagans do that? Jesus doesn't call us as his followers to just love our family, to just love our friends, to just love our church, to just love our leaders. But he calls us to love even our enemies. And in that, I think it's safe to say we are called to love, if we are called to love our enemies, that we are called to love all that we come in contact with. 
We don't get to pick and choose who we are to show God's love to. But we are called to show his love to all that we encounter in all settings. We are to be bearers of God's love to all we meet. But why? Why does Jesus call us to love one another? Why does he call us to love our enemy? Why does he call us to love our our neighbor? Why does he call us to love people that are so different than us? People that might even persecute and talk bad about us. Why does God call us to love people that boldly live in sin as enemies of the cross and of God? Why should we love one another? To that we turn to 1 John 4. And in 1 John 4, John writes, In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. And in verse 19, he sums it up. He says, we love because he first loved us. The beauty of the Christian faith is we are not asked to do anything that our God has not already done for us. We are to love because God is love and God has shown his love to us. We are to sacrifice in our love for others because God has sacrificed in the greatest way possible for us in his love for us. We just read it. God sent his own son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation or the the sacrifice for our sins. When it seems hard to love, when it seems not worth it to love, when it seems pointless to love, when someone seems completely unworthy and unlovable, that's when we remember God's love for us. Romans 5, 8 reads, but God demonstrates his own love towards us that while we were still sinners, while you and I were unlovable, while we were enemies of God, Christ died for us. Jesus paid the ultimate sacrifice for our sins when we were sinners. While we were enemies of him, that's when he died for our sins. He didn't die for people who already loved him. He didn't die for people who were already singing his praises. He didn't die for people who were sharing and speaking his accolades with the world. Jesus died for those who opposed and hated him. Jesus died for you and me when we were enemies of the cross. When we were living in sin. When we were destined for hell. Jesus died for us not because we were worthy, not because we are special, but he died for us while we were his enemies in desperate need of forgiveness. And so as we look at our workplace, at our neighborhood, at our friends and family, those people that might be living as enemies of the cross, that might be living in blatant sin, that might be living in a way that drives us crazy. When we see the world living in blatant and destructive sin, the call is not to judge and condemn. But instead, when we see that sin, we see ourselves before Jesus intervened and saved us. We should weep and mourn over the sins of others. Look upon them with compassion and love in our hearts, not annoyance and judgment. Because we see ourselves before Jesus died for us. And when we see the world living that way, we don't condemn, but we love. We don't puff up our chest and think of ourselves as better. We should fall on our knees and give thanks that Jesus loved and saved us. And it's in this gratitude that we ought to be motivated to love others and show God's love to them through serving, caring, praying for, and encouraging. It's because of his love and sacrifice that we can love others. It's because of his love that we can love the obnoxious coworker. It's because of his love that we can love the unlovable. It's because of his love that we can love the orphan. It's because of his love that we can love our children. It's because of his love that we can love our spouse. It's because of God that we love. 
Not only that, it's because of his love for us that our love for others is essential and not optional. We love because Jesus first loved us. And so in the Christian life, it's not optional, it is mandatory, and that love is to be extended and shown in all of our relationships. And finally, we love because Jesus loved us when we were unworthy, undeserving, unlovable, and living in sin and rebellion. Because of his love for us, we are called and empowered to love others. We are called to love and show his love so that many, so that some, as we saw last week, may see his love in us and experience his life and forgiveness for themselves. But what do we do when we can't muster up the ability to love others? What do we do when we find ourselves wanting to close off our hearts to others and we struggle to see, uh, to love the people at our workplace or in our neighborhood or at our school or on our team or in our church? What do we do when we struggle or don't want to love? First of all, we, I think we've got to clarify real, real quickly, love has gotten a little bit confused in our culture. Love does not mean that you endorse every lifestyle, that you embrace sin, or you encourage someone to keep living in sin. The Bible is clear on what is sin and what is truth. And we are never called to embrace or encourage sin. The world tells us that in order to love, we must pat on the back and endorse every lifestyle, every choice, every belief, even if it's wrong and the Bible says it's sin. That is not love. That is encouraging and patting our world on the back as they walk to the gates of hell. That's the opposite of love. Love does not mean loving and endorsing the sin. It doesn't mean loving and endorsing every choice people make. Love means loving that person. Seeing them as a creation of God, loved by Him unconditionally. Don't get caught up on how someone is acting and forget that there is a soul there in need of a Savior underneath. Don't expect people who do not know God to live like Christians. Love them as they are, where they are, because they are people created and loved by God. But what do we do practically when we struggle to love one another? To love our enemy, to love our workplace, to love our neighborhood, to love our community, to love our church or someone within the church. In the book of Revelation, John receives a revelation from God, and part of that is a word to the seven churches of Asia Minor, or what is modern Turkey. And the first church he speaks to is the church of Ephesus. And their struggle, their shortcoming is that they have lost their love. They are still doing good things. They are still holding to truth and to the law. They are still in existence, but they have lost their love. And as Paul says in 1 Corinthians 13, when we lose our love, it doesn't matter what we do, what gifts we have. Without love, we have nothing. So here is the word to the church of Ephesus and their instructions for how to regain their love. It reads to the angel of the church in Ephesus, write this. These are the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand and walks among the seven golden lampstands. I know your deeds, your hard work, and your perseverance. I know that you cannot tolerate wicked people, that you have tested those who claim to be apostles but are not and have found them false. You have persevered and endured hardship for my name and have not grown weary. weary. Yet I hold this against you. You have forsaken the love you had at first. Consider how far you have fallen. Repent and do the things you did at first. The church of Ephesus is still doing good things, but they have lost their love. They have lost their love of God and in that their love for others. But there is clear instruction for them on how to regain their love and clear instruction for us. If you are struggling to love others, to love your family, to love your enemy, to love your workplace, to love your neighborhood or community, if you feel your heart has hardened to the people around you, then we have practical application on how to regain your love. So what do you do when you don't feel like loving? First, take time to remember God's love for you. 
if our love for others comes from God's love for us, then we must pause and remember His love for us. We see that in verse 5. Consider, think about how far you have fallen. So for the Christian, this means pausing and taking time and remembering God's love for you. Remembering that moment when He first saved you. Go back and read the stories of Jesus in the Gospels and remind yourself of what God has done in your life. Memorize scripture about how much God loves you and read that to yourself each morning before work or before you have to deal with that person that is so challenging to love. Remind yourself of his love for you. Memorize verses like 1 John 4, 7, Romans 5, 8, 1 John 4, 9 through 11, 1 John 4, 19, John 3, 16, all of 1 Corinthians 13. And remember that feeling, that eye-opening moment when you realize that you were a sinner in need of salvation. And not only were you a sinner in need of salvation, but there was a Savior in Jesus that loved you and made a way. Remember that moment, that time, and what it felt like when your eyes were open to the reality for the first time that Jesus loved you and that he had died for you and you experienced his forgiveness and freedom. Remember when you first felt his love. You didn't earn God's love for you, but it was freely given. You were a sinner just like those that walk around you every day. You were in desperate need of forgiveness, of hope, and love until you met Jesus. You were just like those that you struggled to love until you experienced Jesus. So remember his love. Rest in his love. Give thanks for his love. And pray for his love to give you compassion for others who were just like you before you met and experienced Jesus. Secondly, remember his love. But then secondly, repent where you have fallen. As you remember God's love for you, repent in those areas where you have failed to live in that love and pass that love on to others. We see it right there in verse 5. It says, consider how far you have fallen. And this verse 6 says, as you remember, repent. And repent simply means to turn around. It means when you recognize that you have gone the wrong way, you see it, you stop, and you turn around. So if there's an area or a place in your life where you have failed to to love, where you have failed to remember Jesus' love for you and others, Stop, ask for his forgiveness, and then turn around. Go back to that place or that person in love empowered by the Holy Spirit. Intentionally repent. Humble yourself and ask for forgiveness and let the Lord change your heart so that you can love those around you. Lastly, Jesus calls on the church of Ephesus and us to to repeat or return to our first works. Verse 6 says, repent and do the things you did at first. For most of us, when we first experienced Jesus, we couldn't wait to share his love with others. When we first understood that the God of the universe loved us, that he died for us, and that he offered forgiveness and eternal life to us, we shared that with everyone we knew. Statistics say, for a variety of reasons, those who are new believers are the best evangelists or the best at sharing the Jesus. It seems backwards, but the longer we are followers of Jesus, statistically, the worse we do at reaching back and saving others. The worst we do at sharing Jesus with a lost and dying world. So as you reflect on your salvation, as you remember what Jesus did for you, as you repent from your sin and your indifference and your lack of love, return to that passion you had when you were first saved for sharing Jesus and making him known. The people around you, they need life. They need hope. They need joy. They need purpose. And Jesus is the answer. And so as you, uh, as you, you, if you know Jesus, you have great news to share with the world. Love the world around you. Share that great news with joy, with love, and with confidence. 
As you approach your workplace, your community, your family, as you approach them with that first love of the gospel, share it and share with the joy of the gospel with those that you interact with. So to recap, when we find our hearts hardened towards the people around us, when we find it difficult and challenging to love, we need to first remember who God is and how much he loves us. We've got to repent of our lack of love and our attitude of indifference. And then ask God to give us a new love for the people around us as we go back to doing the things he has called us to do. As, he call, as we go back to serving and sharing, that we do so with love for those around us. Don't go through the motions and forget the love. Let God soften your heart, heal your hurts, and give you his love and his purpose for the people in your life. Jesus is the hope. He is the light of the world, and he is the hope and the life that your friends, neighbors, and coworkers and enemies need. Let Jesus fill your life with his love, and then share that love with others. So as we respond to this passage and this call to love one another, first of all, if you're here and you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, I pray and I hope that you leave today knowing that he loves you. That he loves you so much that he went to the cross and he gave his life on your behalf. That while you were an enemy, that while you were living in sin, while you were running the other way, he died for you because he loves you. The Bible says if you will repent and you will trust your life and follow him, he will, he will be faithful to forgive and give you new purpose and new life. So you can do that in your seat. You can come talk with me. You can call me on the phone this week. I would love to share with you what it means to trust Jesus, your Lord and Savior. And then for us that have been believers, maybe we've been believers a long time and we have kind of lost that first love. What spheres of relationship or influence do we struggle to love in? Maybe it's work. Maybe it's family. Maybe it's here at church. Maybe it's your extended family, your neighborhood, your school, your community. Where do you struggle to love others? And if you think about that area, would you ask God to, to give you his eyes and his heart for those people? Maybe he would give you strategies and ways that you can practically love. And as you look at your life as a whole, maybe you need to repent and return to that first love. We ask that God would give you uh, just his eyes and his heart for in your life and that you would see where you need to repent and turn from, where, from your selfish ways, that you would trust him and, and experience his love and show that love to others. And then lastly, who do you need to intentionally show and share the love of Jesus this week? If there's an area or a person God has put on your mind and your heart today, would you go and intentionally show his love to them this week? Would you share the hope that you have? I'm going to pray for us, and as I do, the worship team, they're going to come and close us in a final song. Dear Heavenly Father, we, we thank you for this call that you've given our life, this purpose you've given on, on our life, where we are to love one another and love others. Lord, we thank you that we don't try to do that out of our own power, but we love because you have first loved us. God, and I pray that if there's anyone here or watching online that has not experienced your love for the first time, that has not experienced your salvation, God, that you would make it clear to them just how much you love them. Lord, and that you would give them the courage and the strength to repent and turn to you, to ask their questions, to figure out who you are, and then to trust their lives to you. God, I pray for many of us that have been Christians for a long time. Lord, I pray that you would make a fresh in us, that you would help us to experience anew your love for us, that we would feel and know how deep and how great and how wide your love is for us. And God, as that we experience that and as we rest in your love, Lord, that you would help us to show that love to others. That you would create in our hearts and our mind a love that comes from you that we show to others. 
God, we pray that our community would, would know we are Christians just by how we love one another. Lord, that we wouldn't stop there. We would show that love to all those that we meet. God, I pray that, that as we look at our own lives, that you would work in our lives. That you would help us to, to know your love. That you would reveal to us where we need to repent. That you give us the strength to do that, Lord. And that you would give us afresh your love to show to those around us. Lord, may you help us to be a people and a church that love one another and love others well. Lord, we love you and we praise you. In your name we pray. Amen. My faith will fail, Christ will hold me fast. When the tempter would prevail, he will hold me fast. I could never keep my hold through life's fearful path, for my love is often cold. He must hold me fast, he will hold me fast, he will hold me fast, for my Savior loves me so, he will hold me fast. Those he saves are his Christ will hold me fast Precious in his holy sight He will hold me fast He'll not let my soul be lost His promises shall last But by him at such a cost he will hold me fast, he will hold me fast, he will hold me fast, for my Savior loves me so, he will hold me fast. For my life he bled and died. Christ will hold me fast. Justice has been satisfied. He will hold me fast. Raised with him to endless life. He will hold me fast. Till our faith is turned to sight. When he comes at last. He will hold me fast, He will hold me fast, for my Savior loves me so. He will hold me fast, He will hold me fast, He will hold me fast, for my Savior loves me so. He will hold me fast.